Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Infrastructure, the podcast which tells you about everyday infrastructure projects across the UK and around the globe, covering anything from roads to railway to aviation and futuristic projects in the making. We always aim to be both informative and entertaining while having a good laugh along the way. Hosted by myself, Martin Lamb and Louis Montford. On this episode, we head to Belgium to discuss the birth of the Chalouin Metro and its politics, particularly focusing on Line 5, which was built in the late 1980s but never opened, although that could be about to change. Plus the unusual story of its bizarre crossover. This is Infrastructure. So welcome back to another episode. We're back here again with me, Martin Louis. So yeah, how's things? Yeah, it's uh, all good. You just um, back from Dubai recently on another jet-setting holiday as you're always away. Back from another jolly. Um, <laughs> Although you did get stuck in the sand, I believe. Yes, a rather exciting <laughs> six hours in stuck in sand, and our rescuer got stuck in sand. So um, all fun and games as usual. I think it was a two. Th- it was a fairly modern Peugeot yeah. 2008 okay. front-wheel drive automatic. So, um, perfect for taking off road. Um, <laughs> can, I just, so, yeah. <laughs> can you just tell the listeners what you were actually trying to achieve? What, um, what were you trying to spot? So we actually went off road looking for camels, <laughs> um, and which where you'd, you'd expect camels to be in the dunes, but that that wasn't the case, I'm afraid. And then just a few days later, you were just driving normally, and you just found them on the roadside. Loads of camels. We actually <laughs> came across a camel race track. Um, where they were um, racing camels, which was rather cool. So yeah, definitely, um, definitely an experience. Uh, Although tell you've uh, you've been at home. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I've been at home in the. Uh, no, to be fair, I've been um, we've been with my kids and stuff. But yeah, I've not been uh, to Dubai anyway. So uh, it sounds like you had a bit of an adventure anyway. So it always seems to be an adventure when uh, we hire a car. <laughs> <You do. laughs> we won't talk about the smash back window and anything else, will we? No, and the, the crack sump in Cyprus. Uh, yes, yes. You do seem to have a history with uh, cars and hiring and stuff. I you? don't think Enterprise will like us. No, I say you can't be very popular in the old insurance claims. <laughs> ben, and, ben and Louis, insurance claim again. <laughs> it's like the story of your lives, you two. It is. Uh, anyway, that's a bit of feedback then on the last episode. Uh, particularly, we're going to look at the... Um, we talked about the ticket office closures, didn't we? And we did have... a. a message in on our uh, Facebook page by the way if you want to re- uh, message us on Facebook don't forget it's at Infrastructure Podcast if you want to send us a message and we did have one in didn't we yeah we had one from uh, Rachel in relation to the booking office closure I think the last time we spoke we actually said the booking office consultation would have finished however on release of this episode it will have definitely finished yes um, it did get extended by roughly about four weeks yeah it did yeah four weeks um if you manage to sign the petition against the closures of the booking office, thank you very much. Um, but, I think yes. at last count it had like almost three, four hundred thousand replies, didn't it? Okay, people that had lodged uh, complaints about it. Yeah, and I can only imagine those three hundred or four hundred thousand um, pledges are in favour of keeping the booking office. Open. I would have thought so. Yeah, it's or a-, a very small minority of keeping them not keeping them open I think a lot of people in the industry aren't they are quite shocked by the uh, kind of the way it's come about really and with little consultation across the board I'm quite impressed at how many people have because certainly two weeks after the consultation got launched there was it was about 150,000 pledges uh, and then a week later it was up to nearly like 250,000 yeah, yeah. so I think that is quite impressive anyway so we had a message from Rachel 
uh, as follows. Thanks for highlighting the ticket office consultation. So important that we participate in the extended consultation. I arrived at my local station a few weeks back to find the ticket office was closed, which meant the toilet facilities were inaccessible along with ticketing machines. An elderly couple who were distressed as there were no other local services with toilet facilities and this was an intermediate stop for them. I was unable to collect my tickets that had been purchased on my behalf. There was no guard on the train and at my destination station there were barrier exits. I then had to queue to explain why I was unable to exit, nervous about what the consequences may be. Fortunately, I had a photo of the ticket on my phone. So without the station being manned, as some stations are with ticket office staff only, this provides an example of the wider impacts of the closure at the booking office. So yeah, really, I mean, that just highlights the whole thing, doesn't it, really? Especially we talked about elderly people who aren't familiar with technology, they want to see a face, uh, struggling to even just to get into the station in that scenario, just to use the toilet as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, without station staff on site, the station toilets are open to vandalism at mm-hmm. other parts of the station, the booking office, the, the waiting rooms and stuff. So really, you're actually denying people access to basic amenities correct um so there's definitely a lot of issues when talking about the closure of the booking office i think as we've always said it's very poorly been thought out this whole consultation how the fact um you can close like euston and piccadilly but keep open like glossop and various random stations still it just doesn't make any sense does it the way it's been thought about no um i believe the intention or the reason for keeping glossop open is part of the greater manchester touch and go kind of smart Uh, card rail fares um, but then you look at Horridge Parkway, which is also in Manchester, that's owned by TGM, and that would stay open, and that's just a random, like, well, little town station, isn't it? TGM? Uh, it's TGM, isn't it? TFGM. Uh, well, it's the same thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so Horridge Parkway <laughs> is owned, um, or the booking office is, yeah. is um, actually manned by TFGM staff. Okay. Um, which is perfect. It was The station was actually opened by Transport for Greater Manchester, so there is someone in there in the booking office. So it'd be quite interesting to understand what happens to that yeah, yeah. to that booking office, for example, if um, the consultation fails to keep the booking office Correct. open. But that just shows how badly thought out the whole thing is. If you can keep a little station like that open, but close like Euston, and you've got people coming in from tourists and stuff, and you, you know the big ones you want to keep open, Euston, Manchester, Leeds, uh, we want to keep as many open as we can, but it just seems crazy the way it's been thought out. The, the, the impact as well on the, the staff on the floor, for example. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, first hand. Yeah, I mean, they get battered enough anyway. Yeah. That it just puts more stress on the staff and stuff like that. So, definitely, uh, thanks again for the people yep. that have put in their thoughts and opinions about the booking office closures and we'll update you. Yeah, we'll keep up with it, won't we? With the, um, the outcome of the booking office closures, and certainly for Martin and I, it's important being in the rail industry to help those whose jobs are at risk yeah exactly we want to champion the cause as well because we believe passionately and personally that you know they shouldn't be closing anyway yeah so on to this week's topic yes this is a good one this is you this is this is where you've actually been isn't it as well yes uh, so the charlotte metro um i'm sure the people that are going to be listening are familiar with it but to understand the inception of the charlotte metro we must turn back the clock to the mid-20th century Charleroi, a bustling Belgium city with a rich industrial heritage, was undergoing a transformative stage. Rapid urbanisation led to increased traffic congestion, making it imperative for the city to find new solutions to the ongoing transport demands. As Charleroi expanded, it became clear that a more efficient public transportation system was required. 
the existing bus network struggled to keep the pace with the urban stroll and residents needed a more reliable mode of transport. In 1976, the first line of the Charleroi metro was inaugurated, marking a significant milestone for the city. The current 21-mile light rail metro system, which is more like a tram, was opened in seven phases from 1976 to 2012, which included 28 stations, of which 24 were in service as of 2012, along with six regular tram stops. On the 22nd of June 2013, 18 more stations were added to the metro system when line M3 to Gosselius went into service. The original plans for the network were much more extensive, with eight branches radiating from the central loop, but had to be abandoned due to high costs and low prospective ridership rates. Chalawa was historically a coal mining town with steel and glass industries before significantly declining in the 80s and 90s, which contributed to the downfall of its over-ambitious metro plans. Another branch to Châtelet, historically the third one, was partially built but never entered service, but should finally do so in 2026. So, before we talk about um, the you know, the politics of it all, there's some quite marvellous um, underground and uh, artwork, isn't there, on this metro? Yeah, because uh, as you descend into the underground world of the Charlois metro, you'll be amazed by the unique architecture style of the stations, known for its stunning Art Nouveau design. The Chalouin metro stations are more than just transit points, they're artistic experiences. The Chalouin metro is also famous for its underground art gallery. Over the years, local and international artists have collaborated to turn the metro stations into canvases, transforming the walls into vibrant displays of creativity. Passengers can enjoy a unique form of art appreciation during their daily commute. Have you ridden on this metro, by the way? I haven't actually ridden on the metro. Okay. It was de- it was very much... This was, uh, as we mentioned in the previous podcast, on our intermediate stops on the Poland trip. Yeah. But we very much visited the Chalois metro for its historic and very unique history regarding Line 5, which we'll obviously make our way to uh, onto further in the podcast. But um, definitely seen videos, a good video for listeners to watch is by Tim Traveller on the Charlois Metro. That gives you a good visual of what it's like. And if you have been there, let us know what your mm. thoughts are on it. But yeah, the the metro system is quite it's quite large and it sounds like it's very much a people's service. Yeah, and on Tim's video, I think you can see some of the artwork on there, can't you, of how, how pretty the stations are and how you know glamorous they look. And it's quite visually appealing. Yeah, we're very. if you think about... We're not very much like that, are we? We don't let people decorate our stations. No, I suppose on our tube, you've got a lot of art, um, kind of paintwork, and we do keep a lot of things from like the old roundels from the past and stuff. And the tiling's very important on our London Underground, isn't it? The tiling's very significant, which they use. But we get a lot of buskers and that kind of thing, but not really so much artwork, is it? I suppose like Crossrail or the Elizabeth yeah. Line, they've included some design elements of the local area, but we're, I suppose that our transport systems are more of current and there's nothing historic really i suppose in the in the newer lines if you get what i mean no that's correct yeah i mean obviously some of the older lines have still got that that kind of heritage but it sounds like the uh Chalois metro is quite all of it's quite the same isn't it yeah it's, and as, i suppose with the new line that is the new slash old line that is opening i suppose the uh 
the residents or the locals or the internationals will come and decorate the stations as appropriate. Now, the weird thing about, about this particular metro is the Belgian politics behind it, and it's quite fascinating, isn't it, this, of how it all became a mm. ban and what became behind it. So what complicated matters to the metro in Belgium and the politics was the fact the country was split into three official sections, wasn't it? Flanders, the Dutch-speaking, Wallonia, which is uh, where Charleroi is, which is French-speaking, and Brussels, which is the capital. Yeah, so um, Charleroi, obviously where the, the metro is, Wallonia and Flanders are like the north and south okay, elements. Yeah. And the capital's in the middle, isn't it? Yeah, Brussels, which is how I've visualised it at least. Currently, both Flanders and Wallonia are seen to be independent from one another due to the control they have been given by Brussels in order to run their own regions. However, it never used to be like this. No, if you head back 50 years ago, and it was fascinating doing the research for this, the Brussels controlled both Wallonia and Flanders, making the most of the decisions in the country. When it, and so when it came to the industries, transport and specific regional polities, the weird thing about this, everything had to be dead equal, didn't it, really? So what you give to one, you have to give to the other. So in order to achieve this in both Flanders and Wallonia, the government decided that if an investment was made on a project on one side of the country, it must be matched on the other. And this has become to known as waffle iron politics, which I think is a fantastic little phrase. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so break it down a little bit more. So whatever was given to one side must have been reflected in the other. That was down to anything uh, industrial, wasn't it, wise or infrastructure wise? And that's even if the, the other half didn't even need it, wasn't it? Really, whatever you give to one, you had to give to the other, even if it didn't actually require it. Yeah. So, um, which is why, again, the story breaks down into how Line Five eventually met its demise. So yeah, in order to uh, better public transport, Brussels decided to build metro systems in the biggest cities, even if the population demand for a metro system was not required. These cities included Brussels, Antwerp, uh, Liège, Charleroi and Ghent uh, is where they were. But in light of the plan, both Ghent and Liège removed the need for their metro system and funds were reallocated to the other cities, weren't they? So Charleroi, it got more basically than it needed, didn't it, at the time, because the, the other two cities didn't need, didn't need a metro. Yeah, so the funding that was originally allocated to to the other two ended up being put into the pot for Charleroi. And that meant that there was enough funding to build eight metro lines, which seems crazy when it's going from kind of scratch, basically. It was then officially given the go-ahead, and as a new government came into control and realised the metro would now come out of their direct budget, surprise, surprise, those eight lines were not required. Therefore, that ended the programme, and Life 5, which it was already half built at the time was abandoned wasn't it it's shocking so basically politics changed they decided this waffle line politics they both got the same it was over ambitious eight lines they started building it and then realized when they directly had to pay for it and the politics changed that there was no need for it yeah that this sounds like typical politics it does it does so again if you're you'll have to head over to the infrastructure facebook page to visualize this but this is i can't stress how crazy this actually is to see in person yeah because let's just talk about the visualization because we both watched tim's video that we talked about just a little while ago and basically the wires are still live uh you can see i mean the stations look like they've been abandoned you know when you see one of these abandoned videos on uh, youtube yeah and it's quite surreal isn't it seeing the tracks there the overheads are there and it just looks derelict. So I visited Charleroi about a couple of months ago and actually walked the line. Oh, right. Um, from which part? Do you know which part from? I can't, re- I can't remember where I started, but I started definitely out of town. Yeah, yeah. And at the minute, it is, it's been altered slightly. But yeah, it's crazy to see this. Just looks like a normal railway. Like, it's never been abandoned. No. And you get a real feel for how much money has been wasted on this project. That's just baffling. 
when it was half more than halfway built, you might as well just carry on with it shortly. Yeah, because they got about four stations built, didn't they? And one particular here uh, is it Nouvelle Station, built back in 1987, for example. It was completed but never opened like the rest line, but fitted out with a booking hall, escalators and platforms. And those escalators and platforms are, are still in place, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're still there. So um, most of the stations are actually above street level, if you like. So the escalators take you up onto the platforms. The escalators are still there. The platforms are still there. The track's still there. The booking office is still there. Obviously, it's been graffitied slightly. Yeah, 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 I can imagine. Um, but, yeah, you get a real feel for how it's going to look and how it was meant to look. Yeah. And you can kind of visualise the trams or trains, whatever you'd like to call them, actually stopping there because that in itself is a bit confusing because although it is classed as a metro, they're tram-style trains actually stopping there. Yeah, it's quite weird, really, because we call it a metro, but they do sort of look like uh, trams, don't they? A bit like uh, when I went to Poland last year. Look, They look quite similar to that, don't they? Yeah. And tram-like, tram-like trains. The distance between the stations is more, I'd say, tram-like rather than metro. Okay. Although, I suppose it's however they've designed it in the end. And let's talk about Line 5 particularly then, as we've, we've discussed that. We've got a bit more information about it here and um, kind of what the plan is for it, really. Yeah, so Line 5 is the, the line that never opened but was partially built. The original pre-Metro project envisioned the eastern branch from Waterloo Station. Not in London. <laughs> no, not that Waterloo. Then Nord to Châtelet, comprising eight stations. Construction of this branch began in the 1980s, which resulted in the first 2.5-mile section in various stages of completion. The Waterloo to Châtelet part has been finished, but was never put into service. And as a result, the finished Nouvelle, Chet, Pense and Centenaire stations remained closed and were vandalised. Sometime in the 2010s, the station building of Centier had also been demolished. And we don't really know why about that. But yeah, that had been demolished, possibly because of vandalism, maybe, or something else. Yeah, because when you, when you do go, you realise how much it has been yeah, touched, trashed. Only structural work was completed to the Centenaire to Leopold part with no tracks installed and the rest of the branch has never been built. But that second section, although there is no track, I believe the overheads are all there. They've actually put the stanchions in and everything from the video I watched. So yeah. They've got the first four was fully complete and the last four was partially complete, wasn't it? Yeah, so when I walked it, the, the stanchions and the overheads were definitely there and yeah. the track doesn't there isn't a track bed. No. It's just concrete. It is concrete, yeah. Um which then takes you to another station and then the track does continue further than the original plans for the 1980s. All right, yeah. So, yeah, in 2011, preliminary estimates give a cost of 5 million euros to refresh the Waterloo to Centenaire section, with another 20 million to complete the line to Corbea, which is serving a nearby popular shopping mall and a regional hospital in Vivers. So that's what they want to do, really. They want to reopen the existing line that was never finished, but also extend it now, don't they? Yes, so that bit has been completed. It reminds me very much of the cut and cover that they did okay. for the tube yeah, yeah. for the subsurface. So that, that continues. There's no track again in that because it just continues on for the bit that never had the track laid, but the stanchion's there, and that's been completed all the way through. And at the minute when you walk to the end of it, you just reach a wall. There isn't anywhere, but I believe on the other side of that wall, that's where they're building the, the station for the shopping mall. And in early 2021, it was announced that the Châtelet branch may be finally completed and the existing part of the branch renewed using the funds from the... Chalois's 250 million euro share of the Wallonia recovery plan. If given the go-ahead, the line may be opened by 2026. Finally. <laughs> Only, so originally 1987 we go back to, it was supposed to be opened in the late 1980s, so we're talking pretty much almost 40 years after 
it originally supposed to open that it could be open in the next three or four years. And there's a video online of the tram actually going over the disused section. Oh, is there? With a load of track workers there. And they used to, there was a section a couple of years ago that you couldn't actually access because yeah. of the shrubbery, but that's that, that was connecting the parts that had been, the track had been laid and the not the the track that was not laid or the track bed for, for that matter. And there was some quite bad shrubbery there, but you can actually access it all now. And certainly when I visited the site, there work was happening. It was already, was it? So yes, clear there it. was. Well, there was some on track machinery there, and you could definitely see that the rails were no longer rusted um, on the railhead. It was uh, polished which obviously shows that there was some They're sort of on-track machinery going over there. Yeah, because the Shalawar's local leaders have argued that despite its dilapidated state, and it would be after 30 years, it's going to need a little bit of work to bring it back into kind of modern uh, standards, isn't it, anyway? Yeah. The metro system should figure prominently in plans to revive the city and slash car use. They want to invest in the areas closest to existing metro lines and set up rapid bus lines to expand and improve the system's reach. The existence of a sustainable public transit option they hope will encourage further development. And then add on to this really is also so talking about the tram trains, they're also refurbishing the metro fleet, aren't they, as well? as But they must be quite old. Yeah, and I think that's very much happened because of Line 5 opening. Yeah. And again, back, talking back to a video, you can actually see where the line branches off. Yeah. And it'll be quite interesting to see the difference in styles, maybe, for this for the for the rebuild of the stations, because they're very much going to need tarting gut, if mm. you'd like. So it'd be interesting to see the style differences between the new and the old, even though they the framework of the stations is very much the same because the outside of the tram trains although they're talking about a refurbished inside here it's been 500,000 euros per carriage with a f- total fleet renewal of 22 million euros due also for completion in 2026 but the outside of the tram trains look very old fashioned don't they they're kind of an old style look aren't they I yeah think. I'd um, hate to say it but very like I'd, very Polish I think yeah or Soviet kind of correct looking, I, think. I think that's right yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, the refurbishment program has probably been given a very much of a push. Yeah, given the uh, opening of Line Five, so if you definitely should visit, maybe before or after, probably both really. Uh, yeah, talking about Line Five and uh, part of this video that Tim did that we saw on YouTube, and there was a, a, like a little sub video to it that was about four minutes long. That some of his, um, you must watch this. What was the name of the guy again? Tim Traveller. Tim Traveller. Basically, his video has got a follow-up where some um, people that watched noticed the bizarre diamond crossover behind him when he does the video, and. There is this weird, bizarre crossover where it kind of breaks off from Waterloo and goes into the first station. And um, it's because it's something to do with the line swapping, isn't it? That's the thing, that the trains have to swap lines. And it's a complicated reason for it, isn't it? Yeah, because back in the 1980s, there were two companies running the public transportation system. That was STIC, the local urban transport company, and SNVC, Vinciel Tramways. Even though they were both public transport companies, they had rivals. Six of the eight proposed lines were Vincial territory and two in the east were STIC territory. The borders overlapped between Waterloo and Nouvelle Station and they were told that they had to share. <laughs> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's, yeah. like, it's like two PTEs, isn't it? We call transport executives overlapping areas, isn't it? Yeah, however, they couldn't agree on which side to run the trains and both wanted different directions. <laughs> so this is how the Diamond Crossover 
came happened. In, it came into play. So, so basically, Vincia wanted to run them on the right, and the reason for that was because it already had tram lines where they could only run on the right-hand side due to on-street boarding. But STIC wanted to run their trains on the left, but they did have doors on both sides. But because all the stations had island platforms, this is where the um, confusion and com- complex um, nature of the, of the thing came in, Vincia would have to run the trams on the left, or the passengers couldn't get off, so they had to have the crossover in order to swap tracks and agreed in principle to that method of working so it is quite weird isn't it really that they because that would have to be weirdly signaled and to me that would be a restriction of capacity of the line as well having a diamond crossover yeah because if you think about it actually you you're going to have trains coming head-on aren't you yeah, technically, and it's not like a diamond crossover where you still have a straight line ahead. They li- it was literally like a, an X crossover, isn't it? Basically, yeah, it's very much like an X. Is um, rather than a diamond, probably. But yeah, so basically, one line would have to swap to the other side because if it, they didn't swap to the uh, left-hand running, then they couldn't obviously get off with the island platform nature. So, so yeah, that was the reason. But more bizarrely, that the tale gets weirder because you'd think when the line was completed at the eighties, that crossover would already be in. But because they were still arguing about it, weirdly, the crossover was never there where the line was parked complete until uh, the early 90s weirdly so it's because really line three um i think it's line th- oh no sorry line four was only uh, was in the process of being opened at the same time so they thought they'd put one in on line five at the same time thinking it would also follow an open but sadly 30 years later that still hasn't happened <laughs> so what a waste of money the way it's basically the waste of money continues it's the project of waste of money it is isn't it really um which is where we're at now with the metro system i assume uh, yeah, so so they merged back in the early 90s, but they were still arguing it over at the time. So, yeah, some people may ask why why basically they didn't just switch back to the old way of running and, and not bother with the diamond crossover. But the, the main reason for that was that all the signalling and related electrics had already been installed on the left-hand side. It would have been a massive pain, not to mention hugely expensive to take it all out and put it all on the right-hand side. So much cheaper and easier to install two little crossovers. Yeah, and even weirder to this story, strangely, Line 5 still gets its basic maintenance today. The signaling still works. The 600-volt DC overhead lines are still energised and a power generated is situated on Line 5 for other parts of the network. However, obviously now while they're doing works on this, they've disconnected this. Oh, have they? All right, okay. So So the signaling has been removed and uh, although the overheads are still there, they're not energised for safe working practices, I assume. Is they? that only since they've decided that they're going to do this extension to it and put it back into action? Yeah, because I would have thought that the overheads will need some sort of maintenance, <laughs> if not renewal, potentially. Yeah. Um, even though nothing has run over them or anything, I do think they will need some maintenance and or completely ripping out and changing to accommodate new stock. Yeah, because I was saying the, the, the signaling was left in place, the overheads were there. I'm assuming today it's not really up to modern standards from 30, 40 years ago, is it? No, it, it very much reminds me of the overheads that were installed on the woodhead route. Very basic, which would have been for like 1980s. But that kind of shows the mishmash of the of the whole thing, really. Then, two, you know, what we'd call two passenger transport executives here in the UK merged together, uh, and even then, they decided to install the crossover even in the in the early nineteen nineties, just because they were finishing off uh, line four at the same time, just hoping that it was going to open soon. Really, and it never did. Yeah, it's definitely one for someone to go and visit if you're into your urban exploration and history. So definitely go and visit Charleroi, and it's an amazing, amazing city. You can very much see it's is still the de- decline it experienced there's a lot of industry abandoned as well so 
Yeah, someone described it to me as the ugliest city in Europe, and oh, that, is, that is how it's widely known. The thing with it is, though, they, they put all this infrastructure in thinking it would grow the thing, because it, it had a big steel uh, industry at the time, didn't it? Yeah, glass, coal as well. Coal, and the problem now is all that's gone, so I'm assuming now they want to put the metro back in to regenerate the area, yeah, and bring new industry a, a in. A lot of people left Charleroi yeah. when the industry started to fall, because people only lived in Charleroi because they work there yeah so i think it's very much get people back into the city develop the line and for the for the locals that have been there before 1980s who were promised a line are finally getting mm. the line and obviously there's a lot of decline in this country in the 1980s as, as you know with coal and, and steel as well and i suppose it's a similar thing back up there but it's maybe short-sightedness because the line was pretty much probably 75 percent there maybe apart from thing it would have probably been a good idea to keep opening it then and it might have helped uh, regenerate earlier on i feel like if they'd maybe like you've just said, kept going with the project, yeah. even if it did cost the council, if you'd like, yeah. the money locally, I think the benefits would have already been reaped. Yeah, very very interesting project. Now, do we think it's going to open in 2026? You said that, that you've seen a bit of progress on it, of vegetation being cleared. It sounds like the, the system's still getting basic maintenance. You say the signal is being ripped out and they're looking. So it looks like progress is, is ongoing maybe I with it. I suspect it might open earlier. Do you think? Yeah, given the how it is now you'll see very, if you go into the page, Facebook page you'll see the photos I'd taken of the Charlois Metro mm-hmm. um, and that'll give you something to visualise definitely go head over to Tim Traveller's YouTube channel to watch it if you're interested but certainly for me it's a quite an interesting project yeah I think definitely and obviously tell us your view this is now your opportunity to tell us what you think about today's topic the Charlois Metro have you visited the abandoned Metro have you been on the existing lines and what do you think about plans to bring it back to life do you have other examples of where politics have played their part and created similar disused railway lines across the world and that would be interesting wouldn't it uh, Louis to see if that is is an isolated incident or there is potentially other places where politics have come into place and we've got more abandoned lines that we can maybe look at yeah uh, certainly uh, we've discussed before haven't we beaching and yes. how that's left some of our railway in, in the, the UK. UK yeah so whatever your view is and your opinion send us your text on 07520 or email us at podcast at infrastructure.co.uk we'll hopefully discuss your thoughts and opinions in the next podcast as always as we do uh, don't forget to check out all the past episodes of infrastructure on spotify apple podcasts amazon music and mixcloud all the details are on our facebook page at infrastructure podcast and in our next episode we'll be heading to norway to talk about the very ambitious project which could see the world's first floating tunnel thanks for joining us again in another edition of infrastructure with Lyrian martin we'll be back again for another episode soon in the meantime it's bye from martin goodbye and it's goodbye from me